Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Greg Wolfman today. Hello, Greg. Hi. Greg, you've written this really great book, Masculinities, in the US Hangout sitcom, and it's really fantastic. Uh, so Thank let's you. get the plugs in uh, up front so people can... It's an academic book, isn't it? Um, it is. So probably request it from your library, uh, but also do buy yeah. it. Um, academic books tend to be expensive, though, it's, don't they, Greg? They are. So it is, it is quite expensive. It's available as an ebook for much cheaper. The ebook's about, okay. I think, is slightly reduced on the moment on on the Routledge website. Uh, it's yep. about thirty five pounds or something like that. Okay. Um, but it is sort of written. It is an academic book, but it is written in mind of people who are maybe not academics but interested in the sitcoms. Yeah. Sort of. The idea is it'll be a route into some of the the academic stuff that I talk about via the sitcoms. Yeah. I mean, if you, if dear listener, you are interested in this show and you're interested in uh, sitcoms, you will absolutely love this. It's uh, really readable. There's an incredibly interesting chapter on the history of the of the sitcom uh, in the US. It's very, very interesting, and um, yeah, it's uh, thorough and authoritative, uh, but it's but also accessible. So it's kind of um, really great. So many congrats, Greg. It's a really good book. Um, Thank you. So we're going to focus on, so you, you, the US, well, I don't think we need, we might get to describing what a US Hangout sitcom is, but it's probably easier just to talk about the sitcoms that you talk about in the book that you mainly focus on. So you mainly focus on Friends, How I Met Your Mother, The Big Bang Theory, A New Girl. Of those, I've only watched Friends. So I asked us just to focus on Friends. Um, And so that'll give you an idea of what, I guess the hangout sitcom is, and there is like a whole interesting history around that that we'll get into. But um, I think also just before we go any further, in between us agreeing to do this um, this podcast and you sending me the book, sadly, um, Matthew Perry, the actor who played uh, Chandler Bing, has died. And so we just wanted to pay a little tribute at the beginning. Um, a really important, interesting character who plays a very, uh, and Chandler Bing plays a very, very important role in your book, but um, really, uh, he'll be missed, won't he, Chandler Bing and uh, and, um, and Matthew Perry, and he really struggled with being Chandler Bing and uh, and really struggled being post-Chandler Bing, um, but so do you have any words to share about Matthew Perry, Greg? It's, it's just it's just very sad. I think he was, um, I think of the, of the sort of main three actors, I think, and the main three actors and characters in in, in Friends is probably Chandler was probably the, the 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 sort of newest kind of idea, um, and I think you see that over the kind of development of his character, and I think a lot of that over you know he starts off. I think they initially planned for Chandler to be like a, a sort of semi peripheral character, mm. um, but as the character developed, and I think a lot of a lot of that was brought to it by um, Matthew Perry and his. Uh, his acting and comedic abilities and um yeah just 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 very sad too young yeah 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 really sad um so um so let's get into the show so what what we're going to do is to we're going to focus on four episodes from friends that you focus on in your book and that is the they're the episodes where joey moves out and then basically joey moves back in um which i watched this morning um so they're fresh in my mind i haven't watched friends for a long time so it's quite 
interesting to kind of go back to an old friend in that way, uh, having aged like probably 10 years since I last watched those episodes. And it's really, really interesting how it dates. Did you did Go you on. enjoy them? Just did interest. I enjoy them? I laughed a couple of times. I find yeah. it hard to enjoy anything anymore because I'm, 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 you know, read th- read things too closely. Um, yes, yeah. And there was a lot of uh, like uh, neoliberal self help advice um, mm. that me and my uh, former co host Meg John Barker would have called just bullshit advice. Um, but so that was kind of, uh, uh, and that was interesting how to watch that being interrogated in the show. But mm. yeah, I kept thinking about Foucault and things like that. But do you, is it possible for you to enjoy them, Greg? Having I, so there's a, there's a, when I, so this, the book actually came out of my PhD. So a chapter of my PhD is um, sort of very similar to sort of chapter three. So that typology that I developed in chapter three, if you go read the book, it's, it's from my PhD. Um, but when I started that, I initially had about seven or eight sitcoms that I was planning to look at. Um, and I narrowed it down partly for the sake of me, so I wouldn't have to watch so much television. Um, but also because there was there were definitely one or two sitcoms that I wanted to keep aside for the ones that I just I didn't have to think about, I didn't have to analyze uh, as I was doing them. So I preserved that enjoyment in a couple of those sitcoms rather yeah. than these ones. That yeah, was yeah, uh, yeah. that was the strategy. So please say that you did that. I, for I tried Seinfeld. to. Uh, yes, yeah, no. I, well, I mean, I've looked at Seinfeld a bit. But I don't know Seinfeld as as, as well as the right. others. But um, yes, I can still I can still enjoy them. I try to. <laughs> I think there's something that also for me about age because when um, when Friends came out, I was still like ten years younger than everyone. But Friends is still mm. the sitcom that I kind of feel like I'm associated with, even though my favourite sitcom mm. is Seinfeld. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I found it hard to enjoy, but also I was thinking back to my relationships that I had back then as well, and then I was cringing because I thought I was a bit too much like Ross back then, and now I'm really not like Ross, and what what a prick Ross is, um, and how mean they are to each other quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and also when we get to the hugs, uh, the hugs, we'll talk about the hugs in a bit, but I really noticed how different the hugs read now, like the there'd be way more hugging if this came out now. Mm-hmm. And it would be, um, yeah, there's a big deal made out of out of the hugs. Anyway, let's not spoil that. Before we get into this, let's let's situate friends in like the uh the socio-political uh context. So it came out in the mid-90s. Yeah. And uh, it ended in the early aughts, didn't it? Is that right? I've... Yeah, 2004. 94 yeah. to 2004, yeah. Yeah, so it ended in what is is was known as the long 90s and probably we might still be in the long 90s so um so this is the the yeah so this is the era of uh what we call neoliberalism isn't it greg so we're kind of um so there was so let's i'll I'll allow you to do this but i'll give you a jumping off point so you know there was uh fordist capitalism which reified kind of men being wet men and men being like breadwinners and out at work and women being at home and since then, masculinities have had to go through various shifts and adaptations. And this show is right in the middle of this being uh, that time where we, where the focus is on the individual and how the individual responds to political um, conjunctures or conditions. So could you say a bit more about um, f- particularly friends in that kind of, in that time and uh, yeah. what's happening with friends? 
So I, I think the sort of the, the, the beginning, the, the best sort of beginning point here is the sort of um, early 80s, right? So in the early 80s, you have um, in, uh, well, just before the 80s, but the election of Thatcher in the UK, um, the election of Reagan in the US, and both of them are kind of promising this um, shift towards a kind of um, different version of capitalism, essentially kind of free markets, right? And within those free markets, um, individuals are expected to accrue basically as much wealth as possible. They're expected to kind of um, constantly seek to strive to be better. They're not expected, importantly, and this was the sort of relationship between sort of culture and capitalism. Um, they're not expected to sort of necessarily work with other people to do that. They're expected to improve by themselves, right? So there's a, there's a famous, um, I, don't know, I don't know if it's, I, I think it's I think it's a real quote. I don't know if it's apocryphal, but there's a, there's a Thatcher quote where she says, um, I think it's, uh, economics is the method, the goal is to change the soul, right? So the aim was to use this kind of free market economics to pit people against each other um, upon justifications of things like if you strive for competition between people, you will allow more innovation. If you strive for competition, you'll get the best services because people will pay for the best services. Um, basically, if you allow people people and businesses to work against one another, you have this um, constant... Um, constant improvement so self-improvement and capitalist improvement and that kind of thing um at the same time that kind of capitalist shift comes with a shift in the kinds of work that become dominant certainly in western countries right um so what's important to, to just briefly say is that that sort of manual labor doesn't disappear it goes it basically goes to sort of um sort of the global south right mm -hmm. so all of our kind of manual the manual labor and the, the physical goods a lot of them are imported back into this country so that it, it leaves the sort of um uh the, the global north the uk and the us um and, and, and goes up goes goes abroad um but what that means in the UK is that you no longer have this kind of Fordist conception of masculinity where you have men working these manual jobs. Um, uh, instead, it moves towards things like, like offices, right? Um, uh, also, the, the kind of beginnings of um, types of labour that are, or types of, let's say, types of commodity that are not necessarily kind of physical commodities, right? And this changes the demands in 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 a lot of ways of um of men right um and contributes this kind of um ongoing narrative certainly throughout the 90s um of like a crisis of masculinity right so that was quite a popular kind of discourse within the media throughout the 90s um often seen to be there's a sort of like several movies that are released towards the sort of the, the middle of the 90s that, that deal with this kind of um, issue american beauty is a, a sort of classic example um Chappelle one American Psycho, um, but at the same time you've got basically the emergence of this sitcom in Friends that, mm -hmm. that deals with a lot of these same issues, both in terms of this kind of individualism mm -hmm. and this kind of shift in labour. Right. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the shift in labour, I mean Chandler is the the sort of classic example um, of this this kind of shift in the types of labour that men do um, and the fact that no one can remember, no one knows what his job is, right? It's just this vaguely defined office job. Um, um, and at the same time, you have these kind of discourses around kind of neoliberal individualism um, coming about. Um, and you see that in the, what you were talking about, right? And that kind of technology to the self, this kind of self-improvement, constant desire to, to better yourself. Um, in fact, in the, in the episode that we... Um, 
at the episodes that, that we're going to talk about, there's a there's a part where Ross tries to comfort Joey mm. after he loses his uh, loses his role in the sitcom. And the, the, it is a real sitcom, but it's a fictional version of the sitcom yeah. um, in Friends. Uh, and he says something like, um, "You don't need you don't need stability." Um, and I think that's amazing. It's this sort of like attempt to make this this sort of like individual determination um this individual kind of constant striving to be better um to make that a, a source of kind of comfort um, yeah. for joey um yeah. and something there about kind of uh, some something in there about kind of um getting your dream job um i think yes, when you yes. talk about david graber right. in the book is really interesting yeah. david graber's book bullshit jobs where um so chandler is well paid but has what he describes as a bullshit job because he doesn't know what he's doing and no one else knows what he's doing but all he knows is he goes to work he gets paid and then he goes home um but that joey is trying to uh, fulfill his like dream job of being an actor and so the precarity yes. is kind of so the precarity is kind of like okay um and ross exists in a time where uh you can get jobs in academia <laughs> and you can get this thing known, you can get this thing known as tenure um and so and so it's almost as if the um that the that having your dream job is almost like part of your wage in a way that that's kind of that's part of it uh but also that um that's something we could be striving for. It's a way for us to meet the desires of capital as well as mm-hmm. meeting our own desires is to have a job we really dream of. And it's kind of um, right. interesting how, how for me, that placed it in that particular time as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, 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 all of the, all of the four shows, um, pretty much every single character by the end has sort of achieved, not necessarily the pinnacle of their, of their career, but has kind of, progressed in their career even if yeah. you know that always comes with kind of you know demotions and losing jobs throughout throughout yeah. all of it um but that sort of that idea of the career is it's only ever sort of like a function of self-improvement mm-hmm. right so it's not it's not too it's not because of necessarily what their career does or you know how they contribute to society it's mm-hmm. i've got that place and that's because i'm achieving this kind of dream job which is about me and what i can do and you know how i can be the, the best me um yeah yeah and structure never comes into it does it so um uh re- the the cost of rent which is one thing that everyone talks about you know how could they afford yes. that apartment but you know the yes. cost of rent um is actually explained in friends oh is it oh yeah there was a rent control apartment wasn't it or is that right it's no it's it was bequeathed i think by i'm pretty sure bequeathed by by the Geller family or like an aunt or right. something. Um, so that's how they own that flat. Um, the the others aren't necessarily explained. Right. To be fair. But that oh, was the main flat. Okay. Sorry, go on. No, go on. But, okay, apart from that, <laughs> the um like structures aren't talked about the the things that they come against aren't talked about because there is a it's almost that there is a given at this point yeah. in society that okay, well the uh the history history's ended now to quote Francis Fukuyama, which I'm sure he hates. Um, but there's that, that sense of, well, capitalism's won out now. We can't see anything, any other future, any other existence other than capitalism. As the Frederick Jameson quote isn't there, that um, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. And that's the yeah. kind of world we're living in there. But that also produces these kind of, so there are these norms around um, 
self-improvement, monitoring and disciplining our our behavior, which we might talk about in a bit. But also that that also leaks over into the social realm. And so there is this thing that you talk about of um as well as there being like heteronormativity and mononormativity, so that they are trying to find the one and and uh there's like a chrononormativity, isn't there, that you talk about in the book that mm-hmm. there's you're meant to achieve certain things at a certain point. And uh, friends does that a lot, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I, I not again, not just friends, but all the other ones, right? Everyone everyone always kind of hits these hits these bees. So everyone most characters are are married by the end. There's only one or two um that aren't that are married by the end in all four of the sitcoms. Um most of them have kids in some way by the end. Um they as I said, they usually have these these kind of um careers by the end. Um what you also have, and I think Chandler becomes the archetype for this, and I don't think, I don't think it was what they initially they had initially planned. But all of these sitcoms um, have someone who usually by about halfway of the run, at least some of them from the very beginning, there's a couple that serve as this kind of um, uh, this ideal kind of point, right? There's there's a stable couple, and everyone else wants to be this kind of stable couple. Um, so you have Chandler and Monica and friends um who are you know by by season six or so they're 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 very stable. There's, there's no kind of real peril to it. You've got um to just briefly talk about the other sitcoms, there's a couple in um uh Hammer, your mother, uh Lily and Marshall who were together the whole time. They briefly split up in season two. Um but then they get back together and they get married and all those same beats. Um but they serve as this this kind of um this ideal ideal kind of situation ideal relationship and everyone else eventually everyone else aspires to it right but eventually they kind of reach it um but the men so i didn't focus on kind of femininity very much i'd be interested to be curious to, to see someone kind of focus on femininity there has been a couple there's a couple of kind of journal articles that that do this but i'd be interested to read something kind of longer on it but in terms of the way that the men respond to this there's kind of a bunch of different ways basically that they respond to it so you've got chandler who's who settles down pretty quickly um you've got ross's version and again you see this character in all the other sitcoms uh ross's version which is just this constant kind of constant panic constant fear constant anxiety about ever being able to hit those beats even though i think there's a i think in every single one he does he does find the one um so to speak because there is this kind of archetype in all the others and then you've got this other character who's Joey, basically, who's this this but this womanizer, right? Um, and he's constantly constantly sleeping with women. Um, what's interesting is as as that archetype develops, Joey doesn't quite have this, but as this archetype develops in the other sitcoms, there's this sort of like air of tragedy um, mm. to this character who um, has usually the, the the sort of womanizing is explained by some form of kind of masculine insecurity, right? And again, he eventually usually eventually does kind of get his hit his chrononormative beats um by the end um but that's it's it's much more kind of laden with with tragedy rather than kind of anxiety in the way mm. that um that sort of ross type character is or laden with stability like that sort of channel type character is yeah and the anxiety was really interesting because the I hadn't really. When you, you used the word anxiety quite early on in the book, and I was like, mm. "Oh, okay." And watching it again today, they are really anxious. There's a lot of the men are, are anxious. yeah, and they're uh, 
they're in they're often just in like respond mode all the time aren't they they're kind of like uh they're doing this kind of like affect feeling kind of thing and that's and that's often all there is and um this mm. is kind of and it's an anxiety about so there's probably we would say an anxiety about um i suppose neoliberalism and being and having yes. to be the individual uh, and they've all moved into the city, haven't they? Oh, the, uh, no, wait, no, because the Gellers were in the, already in New York, weren't they? And so was Joey. But the, and I think Phoebe as well. All right, okay. I can't. I think. I can't. I, okay. then that's <laughs> it's a been a while point. since I watched it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, but so there's the anxiety of being in the city. But also yes. um, there's a lot of anxiety about um, masculinity, heterosexuality, and mm-hmm. and and anxiety about these kinds of um about the chrononormativity and that's kind of mm-hmm. there all the way through isn't it kind of revealing themselves in the way that they police each other's behavior the police their own behavior but also how um the wisecracking and the jokes particularly from um chandler uh but from other people as well how they kind of correct each other and seek to kind of keep each other in line all of the time but through this kind of with a nervous energy that kind of goes along with it i thought that was really interesting yeah, uh, yeah. It, there's a it, it pretty much kind of every story. I mean, Ross is the Ross is the, the the sort of anxiety archetype. But you're right. The other the other characters. I mean, actually, Joey probably less less anxious. Um, but I think that's a sort of like a function of basically playing it dumb, right? But certainly Chandler is, is kind of more anxious. Perhaps yeah, more about kind of career kind of things. Um, I mean, I guess actually about Monica plenty as well, right? About the their relationship and um being suitable for suitable for love um mm. that's a you know that's the the, the ross anxiety isn't it this yeah. idea of being suitable for love um yeah there's there's i mean they're, they're very they're very anxious shows um yeah it, i think actually probably particularly friends more than the others um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get into the episode so then we can talk about some other things as yeah. well. So um so it's so we're talking about they are towards the end of series two and it's they're they were talking about four episodes and basically yeah, Joey moves out and then over the over those episodes, Joey moves back in. Yeah. And it's set up, and you talk about this in, in, in the book really nicely. It's kind of set up as a kind of uh as a kind of a joke because it's the they're kind of using the kind of um the structure of a conversation which which we might usually be used to seeing uh with a a a heterosexual uh like married or in a close relationship couple talking about seeing another person and wanting to have an affair with another person um yeah and it's played for laughs and so they go to yes. another apartment joey sees this new apartment um so the actor in the show that he's on says hey you should take this apartment and then there's a thing there's a joke which you bring out in in the book which is uh chandler saying to joey i saw the way you were looking at that coving um and so it's interesting that that's kind of played for laughs isn't it uh what do you think about mm-hmm. that, that that was meant to be that the whole thing was meant to be a kind of a pastiche on heterosexuality uh, and that we're meant yeah. to find that amusing rather than in any ways like tragic or hard. So I think one of the things that's, so yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, I want to start by, so this is, this is probably the sort of first sitcom bromance, right? Yeah. So the, the two characters, Chandler and Joey, they, uh, they share a domestic space um, for half of the show. 
um their relationship is i mean they're the closest certainly sort of a homosocial relationship of the men um on the show um but that sort of this idea of the kind of bromance right it incorporates not only this idea of romance and there is a sort of subtextual perhaps homoeroticism to, to to the way that they interact but it combines it with this idea of bro right so, so yeah. it's it's an explicitly sort of like masculinized version that tries to um uh tries to sort of um overshadow or kind of um look past the the, the potential for kind of homoeroticism mm-hmm. or any sort of like idea of queerness in, in the text right um what i think is important context the emergence of this bromance and you have it you know there's a version of this in every other sitcom but there's some sort of kind of romantic um, relationship in, in all the other sitcoms um is that what i think a lot of what i think the hangout sitcom is doing um is it's sort of representing this new surrogate family that kind of ideally emerges in the 90s in response to this kind of neoliberalism mm-hmm. um so it's this new kind of form of of domestic organization right of these young kind of 20 somethings um, in a city um but they're very close right and that's how they find their sort of um their respite from mm-hmm. uh from work from um from the city and that's where again that's really important all, all these hangouts that comes with say in cities yeah um from uh, I mean, from romance as well, right? They have this kind of this close knit group, um, and that has to be that has to be maintained for the kind of hangout sitcom to work. Um, but what that means, and I think this is why this kind of um, this sort of contradictory idea of kind of romance emerges, is that they have to be able to make the characters really, really close. Mm. But they're not they're not part of the family, right? So they have to make these these young people who are many of them of, of the same sex right they have to make them close but at the same time they can't make them they can't uh you know they, they've got to avoid um they've got to avoid any sort of appearance of of, of kind of non-straight yeah. um acting right um so that's how you end up with this kind of weird situation where yes the the, the only way they can kind of demonstrate um their closeness is through this sort of ironic intertextual reference to a sort of like an old family sitcom mm-hmm. um where you know many of these lines could be kind of picked straight out you just have to replace you know one or two words um and it could be from uh you know not, not, you know all in the family or um married with children or something like that mm. yeah 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 I think when you, the thing you're saying there is really interesting because they we we show they show us glimpses of um, queerness, don't they? They show us they show us they kind of yeah. take us up to the point of kind of looking through like a kind of a net curtain where there's a possibility mm. of another kind of way of mm. doing a relationship, but it's always kind of pulled back. And I think that's where a lot of the interesting tension is: is that you know, for me, it's. Um, for me, it's just kind of tragic that there is uh, mm. the way that the way that there is like a uh, um, an enforced non-relation between mm-hmm. Chandler and Joey, and that they really can't be as close as they want to be because the chrononormativity, which they they know that they're going to have to hit their beats, as you say, they know that it's never going to last forever. They know that this is just like a, these are just a kind of a few moments, mm-hmm. but yes, the show gives us these kinds of glimpses, and so and which. 
makes it seem more radical than it is because it, it yes. does kind of make everything actually really, really normative, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's, it, it, I mean, the other thing to say about that is that it's, these endings are guaranteed, right? Yeah. When you when you watch the first episode of Friends, yeah. you can predict that they're, they're all going to have some sort of kind of uh, happy heteronormative, chrononormative ending. Well, same, same with all the other shows. It's not... You know, it's not super. It's 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 there. It's, it's it's there from the beginning, right? There's no there's no question about the idea that there might be kind of potential potential futures that are in any way subversive or progressive. That's the you know the, the way that you kind of want to put it, right? Um, there was um when I was there was a really interesting um, chat. I think it was a book chapter that I read um, for this for this chapter. Um, where I think it's a, a, an academic called Ron Becker does this um, queer analysis of the film Superbad. Um, I, I watched that for and, the first time the other day. I can't believe that. that oh, yeah? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a really, it's a, it's a very funny film, yeah. I, remember, I think I watched that one as about 14 at the cinema. Um, um, but this this reading kind of suggests that there's, Superbad leaves a through a queer reading leaves leaves the possibility open of this kind of queer future right there's no there's no determined ending it ends on this kind of like semi-ambiguous um thing where one of the one of the guys goes goes away to college and the other one doesn't i think um but you know what happens in in like 15 years time that's that's left unsaid here it's not right um i think one of the things i say at one point in the book is that you could kind of read friends in these hangout sitcoms as sort of like prequel sitcoms to the family to, to a family sitcom, right? You can you can pretty easily imagine. Um, obviously, it wasn't the spin-off that they went with, but you can pretty easily imagine just a standard family sitcom um, set in the suburbs with Monica and Chandler and their kids, right? Yeah. That's not that's not difficult to imagine um, because that ending is 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 guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the the next big thing that happens in the in this episode is uh or in this set of episodes is um uh Joe moves out, he's in this large flat with a with a view of Central Park, right? Mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so he must be getting paid quite well. Um New York um, is the seventh character in uh, in Friends. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um so he moves out and he's not altogether happy, and he's sitting on the sofa with uh phoebe and monica and he's opening up to them saying i don't know i'm kind of feeling quite lonely it's not as good as i thought it was going to be i think it intimating a really miss chandler and then we cut to the next to the to the like across the hallway uh and it's uh ross and rachel sitting down with chandler again disciplining him and telling him that he needs to improve and move on he says look he's moved on You've got to get over this. He's not coming back, you know. And again, they they're doing tropes about you know, you know, uh, mm-hmm. his partner has moved on to someone else. Um, but there's an interesting few things here that it kind of um, that they're reinforcing this idea that they can't have this kind of intimacy that they had. It's kind of re- it's kind of uh, enforcing hegemonic masculinity in interesting ways, I think. But also the um, it is kind of um, the thing that you really can't do is to just sit down and honestly talk with each other about how much you love each other. Like that's 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 kind of verboten. They're prevented from mm. doing it by their friends in the show. Yes. What is, what? So what's really interesting is that so this this chapter that where I, where I talk about these these episodes, I then go on and um, analyze similar kind of storylines. Mm. 
um, from the other sitcoms, right? Um, and what's interesting is that in later sitcoms, certainly in New Girl, the characters do have those conversations. Um, so this kind of really, even though the you know, it's, again, these endings are still guaranteed, right? The, 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 there's these sort of quite normative endings. They're still hitting on the same beats. They do have these conversations, which I think is super interesting. Um, and one of the things that kind of led me to sort of um, to, to to write the book. But yeah, they 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 can't they can't have this conversation kind of at this moment. Um, mm. And they eventually uh, Chandler gets a new flatmate, seemingly very quickly. Um, yeah. who turns out to be uh, well a bad flatmate. Uh, reminded me of a flat my eyes to have, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, <laughs> with Joey's circumstances change, he uh, loses his job as Dr. Drake Ramore. Though he comes back, doesn't he? As Doesn't he come back onto the show as Dr. Drake Ramore's twin or something anyway? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm drawing um, a memory the, from the my whole, life palace here. The whole, the whole, the, the, the way they sort of parody Days of Our Lives, which is this US, um, I think you call it a sitcom, US sort of um, uh, medical based. It's, it's not soap opera, isn't it? Yeah. Drain yeah. soap opera, that's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, it's a soap yeah. opera. Um, the way they sort of parody it, because it's a real show in America. Yeah. Obviously, Joey's not. I, th- man, I don't know. Maybe he had a guest appearance. I don't know. I um, bet he That would have been the kind of thing that they might do. <laughs> yeah. That would have been the kind of thing they might do. But that, yeah, the whole bit, it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Sorry, the, yeah the whole thing's funny. Um, yeah, well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny and tragic at the same time. Um, yes. And then and then eventually Joey kind of moves back in, but they do it without kind of – we don't see the moment of them coming together. You use a phrase in the book about how – I can't remember the phrase, so you might be able to remember the phrase. The, the, the coming together of – uh, men as friends is kind of like a, an act of doing masculinity, an act of like yes. performing masculinity, which we don't really see. We see like we see a hug when Joey moves out, a from behind hug, um, mm. where Joey kind of non-consensually comes in and like just uh, hugs him from behind in a very nice, caring way, but in a kind of a surprise yeah. way. And then there is a more coming together hug when they move back in. A very kind of yeah. excited, uh, affective hug, which is like, we're so pleased that we're back. This is kind of good. But we don't yeah. see how they mend the rupture, do we? We don't see any kind of, no. of the affective work that they do. Yeah. So it's it's all, it's all, it's all, it sounds a, um, a clumsy phrase, but it's all done by doing stuff. Yeah. Right. They do stuff together. Um, yeah. The, the, the thing that you're referencing is a, um, I'll make sure I get the reference right. Um, so it's a, a guy called Todd Migliaccio, um, and he uh, he borrows a, a phrase from someone else, which is this phrase of closeness in the doing, which is this idea that basically that when men um, when men do friendship, they're not um, uh, they're not kind of self disclosing, they're not using expression, um, they are doing stuff together, right? And it's the, the, you know the, the way that um, Joey and Chandler. Um, you know, exercise their friendship or perform their friendship. A lot of the time is is by the by the the you know the table football, right? They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not by sitting and chatting about their feelings. Um, yeah, it's by doing stuff together. Um, and yeah, the the the, the sort of um, wordless from behind hug. Um, yeah, is a, is a, is a, is a good example of that that struggle to to kind of do that. Um, 
I hope all of my friends are listening because, uh, you know, I'm from the age of the, I'm from the, I'm 47. My uh, male friends are yeah. also like in the same year as me, I guess. And yeah. um, we do that. That's exactly what we do. I, oh, yeah. I, I try to get them to talk about it because I'm Mr. You know, let's have the conversation. And they're like, Justin, no. I'm a li- little younger than you and I'm still, you know, I'm the same, right? I'm yeah. not. I think this is, um, in fact, I was still, the other day, I um, me me and some friends rented out a, uh, a small five-a-side pitch. Nice. Um, and played football together and, and um we were saying how you know we we don't often we don't when we meet up it's not you know we don't often kind of um we, we rarely just kind of kind of sit down and chat you're always doing something like playing football or yeah. um even like drinking right you can't just like sit down in a in a room together and it's just just you and them yeah um yeah no it's i, I, I don't i don't think this is kind of and this is this is entirely anecdotal i'm not convinced how much a lot of this has changed no Interestingly, the last time me and a lot of my the friends I have in my head uh, hung out mm. was when they moved me into my flat. So it was really similar to the yeah. episode. I didn't yell <laughs> at, at any time, um, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it was interesting to kind of see. So there was a lot of uh, what was it coming coming together and doing? What was the phrase you was closeness in the doing? Closeness in the doing. There was an awful lot of that. Um, yes. <clears throat> And I guess for me, it's kind of and one of the things I've always talked about because I've worked with young men for many years. So I kind mm. of have seen it kind of up close and kind of happening is that I think it's often a mistake to say that men don't necessarily talk about their feelings, but they don't talk about talking about their feelings. So there is a kind of like, I think there's mm. a coded, um, I think what Joey and Chandler are doing are understanding through their codes and their rituals and, uh, what it is that they do that in their doings i think they recognize they are recognizing a kind of a coded form of love and yeah. affection but there's still more that they could give each other isn't there and you talk about this in the book that there is the <clears throat> the later shows do have this greater possibility of saying of just of saying you know yeah. i love you to to uh, yeah. your male friends and that not being such a big thing yeah yeah definitely uh, I, i'm still I'm still not 100% sure what accounts for that that mm. shift. Um, I think it's especially in... I can sort of hazard a guess at what I think sort of accounts for that shift. It's especially in New Girl more than it is. I mean, to an extent, how about your mother? Less so in Big Bang Theory, but you've got the sort of added um, sort of context of uh, Sheldon being a sort of autist, this autistic character. So um doesn't quite work in the same way, but suddenly you have it a bit more in how about your mother, even more so in New Girl. And I think, so New Girl starts in 2012. And I think around that sort of 2000, maybe nine, 10 period, you have the beginning of a sort of, um, not, I wouldn't say a, a, a new, a new wave of feminism, but the, the, you start to see certain kind of feminist talking points um, appear in kind of public discussion. Um, of things like um uh what, what what kinds of what kinds of things am i talking about here um things like uh people talking about things like cultural appropriation for yeah. example um people talking about things like um kind of uh equal pay um you have the emergence of you know people talking a lot more about um 
sexual assault, everyday sexism, microaggressions, those kinds of things. Um, and I think New Guard is kind of not born of that context, but certainly takes that context into account, right? It's the only one that has an explicit main character, mm -hmm. um, the new girl, um, played by uh, Jess Day, played by uh, Zoe Deschanel. Um, and it's a woman, right? That's that's quite important to the sort of narrative of the show, and it, it takes on takes on some of those ideas. And I think that's why that's why that kind of shift occurs. Um, and yeah. I think you see that kind of that sort of build up those sorts of discussions and kind of popular media build up over probably over the noughties, really. Yeah. And if Friends were to come back, which sadly, obviously, it can't now, but if Friends were to come oh. back, it wouldn't be able to not have conversations about. Or it wouldn't no. be able to have men talking to each other about their mental health, for example, um, or or just well having conversations generally. I think that's something that's um, that's certainly a jarring kind of shift that I've really noticed that uh, the uh, the doing aspect rather than the talking. Um, uh, I think what's a, what's a good question to round off our conversation here. Um, <laughs> Oh, here's one. So I noticed that I had to sign into Netflix to, I had to actually I had to buy Netflix because I got yeah. locked out of my friend's account that I was sharing. So I had to pay for the advert um, version oh. of Netflix. So I noticed two interesting things. One, when they were, when the women were having a, so when Phoebe and, uh, when Phoebe and Rachel were having their tattoo, uh, there was an advert. And when Phoebe, Rachel, Monica were reading the self-help book for aimed at women. There was an advert, and it was the same advert. It was a Nike advert, all about female empowerment, saying "You got this, girl," <laughs> which is really terrifying. Um, and I also noticed that this show yeah. is the fifth most popular show on Netflix in the UK. Friends yes. is the fifth most popular show. It's so, great. is it still having a cultural relevance? Do you think that's an impossible question? Uh, or what are your thoughts about it? But also. What does it say that it's that it's the fifth most watched cultural uh, it, fifth, fifth most watched show? It it definitely has a um, a remarkable sort of cultural longevity, right? So one of the I talk about uh, in the in the final chapter, I talk about the um, the Friends reunion, which yeah. I don't know if you've watched, mm -hmm. but um, the, the the range of sort of guest stars they get on that, right? They have this they're, they're, there's this fashion um walk um where various kind of famous people dress up in um uh famous costumes from the show and right one of the characters one of the people who appears there is justin bieber um, right uh it's it's a it's a the, the fact that that you know justin bieber i think was probably born after friends started airing mm. would be my guess or certainly around then um but when Another example: when they, um, when Friends got the rights to Netflix in the UK, mm -hmm. um, the first, I think, something like the first year, it was the most watched show on Netflix yeah. um, for a while. And it's, 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 it's mad how continual generations seem to kind of reacquaint themselves with Friends. Um, and what's super interesting to me is that they do this, and these younger generations are watching friends and there is you know blows them is still this as you point out fifth fifth most watched show on netflix but then they'll go online and they'll talk about um ross's toxic masculinity right yeah. they'll talk about um they'll talk about how um friends is rarely has any sort of like non-white characters um, yeah. in the show um and they'll have these sort of these political critiques of the show um 
and yet at the same time they'll be binge watching episodes and episodes yeah um yeah, if I was to hazard a guess, yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. No, go on. Hazard a guess. I, I, if I was to hazard a guess as to why that is, I mean, you talked about the long nineties earlier, hmm. and to be honest, my guess is that because nothing's really, nothing substantial has come into sort of challenge or change kind of neoliberal hegemony. This. Hmm. This show, which was kind of kind of right at the beginning of its of, of its period of, of, of hegemony, um, continues to feel like it, it speaks in a lot of ways to the current moment, um, and that would be that would be my guess basically because it's it's the not product is probably the wrong word, but it's it's produced in this socio political context that is certainly wavering and has been wavering for over a decade, but it's still still largely dominant yeah. that would be that would be my my sort of my guess as to why it's still so popular yeah well if there are any script writers out there listening to this it's clearly uh, a great idea emerging here for you you should write a show called comrades um uh, for uh for luxury gay post-based communism uh that were you know fully automated luxury gay space communism that uh is coming any moment we're in a pre-revolutionary moment so write comrades um <laughs> and set it <laughs> set it in i don't know coventry or somewhere like that you know uh make coventry famous um or even more famous than it is it's a very beautiful city i think okay uh, so i'm available as a script consultant if uh, if anyone does so you've got that so that's greg wolfman uh get him in as a consultant and um yeah anyway and also again many congrats on this book greg it's really really good Thank and you. honestly dear listener uh if you found this conversation even remotely interesting you would really really love to read this book um so do try and get a copy if you can uh so greg thank you so much for joining me uh thank you for having me i've, I've really enjoyed it it's been been a fun discussion great and i'll i'll uh you'll hear from me next time dear listener okay bye